Hi, welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's it going, Abby? Great. How are you? Doing good. Yeah, you've been you've been uh, kind of involved in a whirlwind <laughs> recently. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. This episode is going to be kind of me interviewing Abby uh, about what's going on with her right now. I think it's an interesting and important enough story to do a whole Media Roots episode about it. So what is generally known now as the Israeli Anti-Boycott Act was a piece of legislation that has been kicked around for many years in Congress and Senate, but has never ended up actually passing a vote. It essentially enables U.S. states to make their own anti-boycott divestment sanctions laws that force any contractor with that state to sign a pledge saying that they would not boycott Israel. This legislation was last proposed in March of 2017 and was co-sponsored by Marco Rubio, Cory Booker, Susan Collins, and a few other crazy Zionists. In 2019, Marco Rubio brought the bill back as the Combating BDS Act, which also failed. And even though these legislations haven't passed at the federal level yet, the general climate since Trump got in office is such that dozens of U.S. states have ended up passing their own loyalty to Israel laws, making a violation of their own state laws to practice BDS while working as a contractor for that particular state. Even people requesting aid for the last major hurricane and flood that hit Texas discovered that they were not allowed to collect aid if they did not sign a loyalty pledge to the state of Israel. So all these things considered, even though this has not been passed as a bill to the House and Senate, all these states feel emboldened to start passing their own anti-BDS laws anyways. So Abby, um, let's start at the beginning of what's going on with you right now, because it's actually pretty crazy. And then go back before the main event. So on February 10th, 2020, you filed a major groundbreaking lawsuit against the state of Georgia and held a press conference in Georgia, along with members of CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, explaining why you filed this lawsuit. Yeah, and it was uh, in conjunction with the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund. They're a legal body based in Washington, D.C. that has won groundbreaking civil rights and free speech lawsuits against the Trump administration, the Obama administration, and the Bush administration, um, namely blocking Trump's effort to actually charge protesters to protest in D.C. So I was really thrilled to link up with them, and I just couldn't be happier with the legal team surrounding my case. And it's amazing. I mean, what you're doing is amazing. I just want to give you props for what you've done. It's extremely brave and important. And for anybody who hasn't been following this story with Abby right now, uh, less than six months ago, you finished your amazing documentary film, Gaza Fights for Freedom, and started embarking on a screening and speaking tour for it with your partner and collaborator, Mike Preiser. When you were asked to speak at the University of Georgia, was the timing coincidental, simultaneously happening with your screening tour, or did they ask you to speak knowing that you had just put out this film, Gaza Fights for Freedom? Well, that's what was so interesting about it, Robbie, and thank you for that great introduction, is that when I was asked to speak, it was because Project Censored had recommended me um, to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is a public institution in a relatively right-wing state, you know, in the state of Georgia. 
um, and they host an annual media literacy conference. It's a long-standing conference analyzing media and kind of deconstructing mainstream media narratives. And I was really honored to be invited as a keynote speaker for this media literacy conference. And it was all kind of centered around my work with Project Censored at the time. I haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, but I edited, narrated, and helped create a documentary about fake news with Project Censored, which is the largest research body in the country. They publish an annual book of censored stories every year. I've done tons of work with them over the last 15 years. That's kind of primarily how I started off in media activism and media literacy. But the weird thing about this, Robbie, is that it actually had nothing to do with my film, Gaza Fights for Freedom. It wasn't going to show the film. And I hadn't even planned to talk about Palestine or my criticisms of Israel. Interesting. Um, at all. It was totally separate from that topic. So basically this was a this this was a coincidence that people who asked you to speak there were doing it because you were recommended by Project Censored. Yes, and they knew about my work just working with media. As you mentioned, this could be substitute teachers, this could be construction workers, hurricane relief workers, or college campus speakers that trigger that $1,000 honorarium or you know $1,000 in order to work in the state as an independent contractor. This triggers this contract. And within this contract, as an independent contractor, it has a clause that says, you certify that you are not currently engaged in and agree for the duration of this agreement not to engage in a boycott of Israel as defined in OCGA section 5585. What's curious about this whole thing is that a lot of people have signed this contract, potentially thousands of people signed this contract without understanding that they're forfeiting fundamental and invaluable civil liberties and constitutional rights, namely, of course, the First Amendment, which protects not only free speech, but the act of uh, peacefully engaging in political boycotts. Absolutely. And just walk us through this, what this emotional experience is like for you, just on a personal level, because obviously it's, you're very invested in the cause of you know, Palestinian human rights and boycotting the state of Israel. This is something that's been a passion of yours uh, for a while. It's something that you've put a lot of energy into. You're just coming off of the release, you know, less than six months ago, it seems like you released Gaza Fights for Freedom. And so this must have been a very strange experience for you because, you know, we have been talking about these anti-BDS laws and how basically unconstitutional and illegal they are. So how did you feel when you got this contract and saw that part of it included a requirement to sign off on something saying you wouldn't practice any form of boycott divestment sanctions against the country of Israel. I was appalled, frankly, because even though I knew about these laws being passed around the country, as you mentioned, over two dozen laws, either by state legislatures near unanimously passing these or executive orders by the governors themselves, um, so I was really, really surprised, Robbie, because I never actually connected the two. I never thought that a keynote speaker at a college campus would trigger this contract, even though I knew, let's say, about the speech pathologist that had challenged the law in Texas. And I know that Kansas and Arkansas, there's also been cases that have challenged this law on a state level. 
um, which actually the judges did deem unlawful. And I was speaking about this on the Gaza Fights for Freedom tour. Mike and I constantly talked about these laws and constantly talked about how problematic they were and how bizarre they were. Um, because frankly, can you imagine replacing the word Israel, right? Any other country in the world, including America, including being able to boycott the state of Georgia, all of that would have been legal, right? Yeah. It's so Orwellian to have this law in place and to have these legislatures pass this law knowing that they were violating such basic rights. Well, just really quickly, I just want to say, you mentioned even a boycott in the state of Georgia would be fine. Even if you boycotted America, there's like no, mm -hmm. there's no laws or anything that I've heard of where it says you have to pledge a loyalty oath to America unless you maybe work for like some branches of the federal government. So that's really odd in of itself that a foreign country, there'd be laws written for any foreign country. Yeah, so imagine it being replaced with like Russia. I mean, yeah, anything. Just, or Saudi Arabia. I mean, literally any other country would be completely bizarre and not tolerated. It's so like part and parcel with this country for some reason that people just like don't even give it a second thought. And the fact that these legislatures even pass this in the first place, you know, there was this grandstanding about how uh, BDS is anti-Semitic and we can get into how um, fallacious that notion is later. But I was really, really upset. I was really looking forward to this media conference. And I have to say that um, after I received the email with the language, and you can check this out, go to the Empire Files um, on YouTube, and you can actually read the entire legal brief. It's an incredible brief. It shows the back and forth communications with me and the organizers, and it actually just has an extremely thorough breakdown of um, the constitutional violations and you know even like the history of Palestine-Israel relations and all of the UN Security Council violations and stuff like that, just giving a lot of depth to this case. Once I understood what I was being asked to do, and once I understood that my talk was um, not going to go through, that I was not going to be able to go to Georgia and do this unless I signed away my constitutional liberties, of course, I wrote back and I said, I can't do this. For the last 10 to 15 years, I've advocated boycott divestment sanctions. I just released Gaza Fights for Freedom, which advocates BDS. And I also am very active on a personal level against racism and injustice. Um, situations of oppression and violations of international law are things that I care very, very deeply about. And of course, I shouldn't be expected to just throw away my moral compass and moral beliefs um, just to work in the state of Georgia. And so, of course, knowing that having to sign this contract was a violation of my First Amendment right to free speech and the right to participate in boycotts, I, I refused. And the conference organizers completely dropped me. So they just ghosted me. you? Yeah, they totally ghosted they, me. You never, so you never like tried <laughs> so, calling anybody, you just were, it was clear that they no. had been ghosting you. And that's when my colleagues stood up for me and said, well, we're not gonna do this either. Um, and that's when I realized the entire conference was just shuttered. And you can see on the website, it's pretty funny. I posted a thread of this on Twitter. You can actually see um, a cancellation notification on the Georgia Southern website saying media literacy conference and explains all everything about it. And then it's like, this has been canceled until further notice. It's just like, what a bizarre situation. Like it was a big deal. So they pr probably already spent money, I would assume, on something. Um, mm-hmm. So it didn't. So it sounds like it was rather early stages, even though there were six yeah. to four months in the making. Okay. Yeah. 
But I, I had sent in my 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 uh, bio headshot, and we talked about the name of the talk, and you know, carved out specific time. And I was looking at flights and all that stuff already too. So I, I mean, it was a big chunk of my time was preparing for this and looking forward to this and carving out my schedule. And I just wanted to add one last thought as you asked me how it felt and, you know, to get this loyalty pledge myself after covering this for so long. And it's such an absurd notion to be asked to do this if you are a pro-Palestine activist or if you're sympathetic with the Palestinian cause, because how could you comply with the request? I mean, just think about it as a thought experiment. It's like, was I supposed to destroy my movie? Was I supposed to like erase it, um, delete all the copies of it, remove all of the videos of all my political work for the last 10 years discussing Israeli crime, discussing the issue of BDS. I mean, it's absolutely impossible to comply. It's so all-encompassing because it's almost like if you've already done BDS, you know, advocacy and there's stuff on the internet, yeah, what do you do? You have to take it all down? Even if you're like, yeah, sure, I'll sign the pledge. I'll stop doing BDS activism. How does that actually work? I mean, it doesn't doesn't even make sense. And also, uh, I've read that there's, there's penalties, there's fines. So if you violate it, if you sign it, like this pledge, and then you violate it, whatever, however that may be, which we've discussed doesn't make sense, you can get fined, like thousands of dollars. Exactly, exactly. After this happened, I mean, this sounds like a traumatic experience. Like you got ghosted by the conference people after you refused to sign this loyalty pledge to Israel. <laughs> For, for like a measly, you know, thousand dollar speaking fee or whatever, which you're not doing this for the money. You were genuinely excited right. to be able to speak at a media literacy conference in, at the University of Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So how long yeah, after no. that did you decide you might have a strong legal case against Georgia? Because, you know, coming to that position, it's one thing to be marginalized or even ghosted by these, you know, conference people. And have your event canceled, but to experience it on a personal level sounds traumatic, but it's also a quite a different step. You're like stepping into it again, to, like a brave and very direct thing to do to decide to file this lawsuit. So, I mean, that what was that process like for you? Right. Well, after, after I kind of came to terms with what this meant, you know, and I was in discussion with Project Censored and I just kept saying, this is a huge story for Project Censored. I mean, the fact that you guys were involved in this, the fact that this happened, the fact that I've been covering this issue for a long time, like we could really have something here. I had no idea um, that I had a legal case, to be honest. I just thought, wow, this is like a really big story, right? This is a huge story. The fact that this clause was triggered, the fact that I refused, the fact that they ghosted me, Um, And, you know, this was about a media literacy conference. I can't stress that enough because it's just so ironic and hypocritical to have a conference like literally deconstructing media propaganda and then to have it fall apart based on refusing this loyalty oath to a foreign country. It's just surreal. They kept telling me like they're going to put out a story. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just wait until you put together a story because you kind of know the more back end of what happened. I was like, you guys were in discussion with people after I got dropped. And so him and Nolan wrote a article for Counterpunch uh, about a month and a half ago. And they talk about, you know, just selective politicized narratives about free speech lead to bipartisan attacks on the First Amendment. 
and essentially enables support for censorship against critiques of empire. And I have to mention that over the course of the last couple of years, and I think it's really exacerbated under the Trump administration, not just the conflation of anti-Semitism with BDS activism and pro-Palestine activism with the recent executive order, which really narrows in on college campuses, but also the hyperbolic notion that conservatives are the ones who are persecuted. It's really fascinating to me the way that the right has tried to own this issue of free speech on college campuses and make it their victimization issue. Because all while that's happening, all while people like Ben Shapiro are crying victim, people like Milo Yiannopoulos, people like Ann Coulter crying victim because there are protests. I mean, the colleges are still letting them all speak. That's the thing that they don't like talking about. They just are mad that the colleges, then they they claim that the colleges are in on some kind of conspiracy to get them canceled because they don't do enough to try to quell the protests. It's like, okay. So it's basically like kind of a roundabout argument to still make it seem like their free speech is being suppressed, but it never really is, technically speaking. It is really unfortunate that they've dominated that argument all the while there there are I don't know how many, and I don't know if you've looked into it since this happened, but I don't know how many other colleges you know, or state institutions have the same loyalty pledge, but it's probably a lot. I don't know. I mean, how many would you say it is? Like, do, can you even think of like, oh, a Oh, I mean, a lot, range? because if you're, if you're thinking about statewide legislation being passed in over two dozen states, I mean, I would imagine that any speaker who is paid an honorarium, I mean, I don't know necessarily like what range it triggers this clause um, or how that actually works. But I definitely think that this is this is happening nationwide, like in all of these states that have already passed this legislation in the state, for sure. And I think people just sign this shit without knowing what they're doing. Um, like, it's not necessarily meant to, like, that they're going to come after me and be like, oh, my God, you signed this. Now we are going to fine you $5,000 or whatever because you've done this, this, and this for every violation. I think that it's meant to quell dissent yeah. and meant to just um, completely control political thought and engagement. And, like, if someone signs this and they're like, well, I'm desperate to work, so, yeah, I guess I'll— promise to not boycott Israel, how likely are they to go to a political protest if they think that a cop will see them and, you know, if they have the chance to be registered somehow in the system and then that somehow linked back to them where they're like, you signed this clause, we have to fire you now because we just saw you at a protest protesting the ma- the latest massacre in Gaza or whatever. So I think it's more about that. And also, of course, going back to the campus level to just make people scared to engage in any sort of BDS activism on the campus. It's so crazy, Robbie, this campus free speech hyperbole, because at the same time that conservatives like Ann Coulter and Ben Shapiro and Milo Yiannopoulos have made it all centered around them, this hysterical notion that they're being censored because people have protested them. Like, think about that compared to actual legislation (laughs) that is passed to block certain types of speech. There hasn't been legislation on the books from the state or federal levels saying you cannot bring right-wing or fascist or, you know, Nazi sympathizers, sympathizers on campus. There hasn't been that. What's crazy is that there has been laws passed about this to control the political messaging about Palestine. I mean, that's what censorship is. Do people realize that? Censorship is when the government puts their thumb on speech, and that's what happened here. But for some reason, conservatives have made it about them. 
I'm just going to be a little bit conspiratorial here. I mean, think about this, Abby. Like, Israel is really benefiting, in a way, from this right-wing trumpeting of them being these free speech warriors, where they want to preserve free speech on a college campus. Israel's benefiting. Ben Shapiro is probably one of the biggest figures putting out that mantra and popularizing that belief, and he probably gets money from Israeli lobbying groups. You're totally right. It's really fascinating, and that Israeli lobbying groups who have been paid money by the Israeli government have actually tried to ruin you. Like, literally sent hundreds of letters to Joe Rogan to try to get you disinvited on future episodes of his podcast. It's just such an interesting dichotomy that that gets almost no media attention, where it's like a blatant, corrupt, and crazy thing that the Israeli government's doing. And uh, Ben Shapiro's getting all this attention. Even some of my relatives uh, mentioned Ben Shapiro and, and cool. know about him who watched Fox News. So, Oh, my God. When I said my, oh my relatives God. specifically, <laughs> you can infer what I mean. Not your, I didn't say our. Right. <laughs> After Project Censored wrote the article, um, I just jumped on it. And I was like, this is the time to put out this story. And I'm just going to say exactly what happened to me. And so I just started off with like an eight tweet thread. It's also actually in the press release from Care. So you can read the entire thread there and how this prompted all of this interest. Because once I got the feedback from it, I realized, oh my God, like this is bigger than I even thought in the sense that I could challenge the law myself because I had my rights directly violated and it was actually illegal what happened. Um, and I and I started just talking to lawyers. I consulted with my friend and colleague, Mara Verhayden-Hillard, who works at the BCJF, who's now co-counsel with CARE. And I talked to her about it, and I, get, and I got advice from her. And she said, this is a really clear-cut case. And, like, this really could take down the law. It's in writing. They sent you the contract. You see the clause. You reject the clause. You are a pro-Palestine activist. She's like, all of it checks these boxes that we wow. can absolutely overturn this law. And it really just comes down to the judge. Fascinating. And a lot of the judges have said, yeah, this violates the Constitution. Because it does. And Wait, you know, who, these state tell- legislatures are really just really care about their own political careers. And tell I think a lot of judges, like, they know and understand the Constitution. <laughs> T- say That's a little bit job. more about her. How did you meet her? Yeah, she's she's just intimately involved in answer. And so I've known her for a long time. I interviewed her several times on Breaking the Set. She has represented um, mass arrestees from like the purge under Bloomberg during Occupy Wall Street when hundreds of people were caged and corralled during that. She challenged that and won like a huge um, lawsuit several things. I mean, like challenging all of like the free speech cages, the free speech zones. And so I just knew that if we're going to do a lawsuit about free speech, this woman, I want it on my side and I want it on my team. And then looking at CARE, CARE is an incredible organization who is on the forefront of challenging all the unconstitutional laws against Muslims and the discriminatory things that are being passed on a federal level against Muslims across the country, especially ramped up under Trump. And so I knew that these two organizations together were just a powerhouse that I felt like was unstoppable. Kara reached out to me and they just said, hey, we saw your thread, um, let's chat. And I talked to them and, and I told them exactly what happened. And they were just like, this is, they said the same thing that Mara said. They said, this is a really strong case. And like, 
we want to represent you. We'd be honored to represent you. We've challenged these laws already, and we've brought them down. And as I mentioned, Kansas, Arkansas, and Texas have actually succeeded. I felt like, how could I not? I was just like, oh my God. I mean, if I could actually use what happened to me to take down this law in Georgia, and if there's different outcomes across the country, that could also prompt a Supreme Court case. Whatever the outcome is of this, I mean, of course, we hope that the law will be taken down and that no other independent contract will have to forfeit their constitutional rights in order to work and and not choose between political beliefs and expression and working, <laughs> the right to work in a state. If that can happen, that's a huge feat. That's all we want, right? Um, but if it can be something more, it, we can try to take it to another level. I mean, it depends on what the judge does. People have no idea that this law exists, and I think they're really shocked to learn that there's so many states that have passed these laws. And as you mentioned, they keep trying to pass this law on a federal level. Yeah, it's super insidious. I mean, the fact that it's getting almost no media attention is really fascinating. Uh, it's creepy that this is going on. And your lawsuit actually did get a decent amount of media coverage. Tell me, you know, because it's one thing to be like, yeah, I have a case. Several different parties to be like, yeah, you do have a strong case here. That's one thing. But then to go from that stage to actually deciding to go to Georgia and actually <laughs> hold a press conference and file the lawsuit physically there, fly across the country. I mean, that's a whole other step. So what made you, at what point were you like, yeah, let's do this shit? I mean, because it's not about me. You know what I mean? It's not about me. It's about justice. And like, as someone who's dedicated their entire life to fighting injustice and oppression, it's like, how could I not do what I could to do this? And how could I not use myself as a vehicle to overturn this? If I could, if I had the chance, I would be crazy not to, because it's not about me anymore at that point. It's about the case and it's about the law and it's about the wider issue of, um, our constitution and our rights to free speech and to challenge uh, a foreign government that is trying to dictate our constitutional rights. It wasn't even like a choice anymore. I just said, I absolutely have to do this. And so Mike and I um, flew to Georgia. I mean, I was extremely sick. Unfortunately, that was probably the worst part about it. And I encourage everyone to watch it on the Empire Files because it really just says it all. It's just me talking about how much it impacted me and why I felt compelled to do, to do this. And... It's not, again, it's not just about me. It's about the thousands of contractors who are doing this, either unwittingly, unknowingly, or knowingly, right? And they have to make a choice. And that choice is fundamentally wrong. It also goes along with the fact that, you know, boycotts are such a fundamental thing that have changed the course of history in this country and around the world. You look at the boycotts against apartheid in South Africa, you look at the Montgomery bus boycotts going back to the civil rights era where Martin Luther King in the 60s was actually charged. I mean, there were bans against boycotts then. And that case to protest Jim Crow apartheid actually went to the Supreme Court and they decided that it was a constitutionally protected right to boycott. And so it's just so interesting that here we are 60 years later, <laughs> 60 years later being told that no, it's actually not your right anymore, and a foreign country is actually dictating these laws. And I don't say that lightly. 
On February 12th, this is two days after I filed the lawsuit, I think one day after the UN released a list of over 100 companies that were profiting directly off illegal settlements. He said, quote, whoever boycotts us will be boycotted. It was also not for nothing that the American administration has taken this step together with us. In recent years, we have promoted laws in the U.S., in most U.S. states, which determine that strong action is to be taken against whoever tries to boycott Israel. That's an incredible admission right there, saying that they have actively lobbied. I don't know what that means in terms of actions on the ground, but that's what happened, that we have an admission from a foreign government saying that they have taken steps to ensure that these laws have passed. If that's not an admission of foreign interference in our democracy, I don't know what is. And also threatening economic consequences if these states overturn the laws. I think that I think that um, that's why what you did is very brave. If a lawsuit like this is a strong case, this is going to hit the Israeli government. What you're doing is a very brave thing. And I just can't believe that this happened to you of all people i mean it could you know what i mean like it could yeah, have happened it could have happened it to anyone doing trying to speak in university so and i think what's also interesting about this is if your case ends up escalating to like higher you know like a state court or something i mean i don't know what what where it goes from state to the supreme court but if it has legs like that i think that what we're going to start seeing is other people filing lawsuits like this like that'll follow your lead and that's encouraging too if that starts happening and that was the point Robbie the point is that it's meant to inspire others to stand up because anything that I can do to spread the word to show what's happening because a lot of people I'd say 99% of the people who responded to this and gave feedback were shocked they had no idea that these laws were in place it's just going to take that kind of political education on a grassroots level to tell people like it's okay to challenge these it's it's in fact our duty and our right because these rights were fought for very hard and as i mentioned they're fundamental to political change they're how things have changed and in a lot of cases they're the only way that we can make political change to just give up those rights to forfeit that in order to work is absolutely appalling and unacceptable and i just hope that other people will be passionate enough to follow suit and understand that they too do not have to do this and they too can challenge this and they too can win they have to be overturned they have to go to the courts to be overturned because we can't trust politicians to be doing this work they um, are completely sold out They're obsessed about their own political careers, and they don't care about the constitutional implications of passing laws like this. Look what happened to Ilhan Omar for just saying something about, it's all about the Benjamin. People are probably very, very afraid, you know, to be too critical of Israel or these laws, which is weird because the laws themselves are just not getting any coverage hardly at all in the mainstream media. And the fact that there are so many of them now is just kind of really creeps me out. I don't really know any other way to explain it. So this is this is just, you know, apart from the fact that it might inspire others, which is amazing, this is also getting mainstream media attention. You know, at least some. Like AP ran a story about your lawsuit. So I think, you know, the more people that know about this through the media also is important too because 
this is just oddly being ignored and it's super violating. Also, what would happen if you, could you just be like, uh, I'll just forfeit my speaking fee and not sign it, but I'll still mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. Is that like basically part of this too? Like you can do free work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the state, if as, as a state contractor, like would they let you do that? I mean, is that even like part of the, has that even been part of the discussion? I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, that's a really good point. I mean, but that, that's the whole point. It's like people need to make money, you know? Well, yeah. And so yeah, it's like super fucked up to force people to be like, well, if you want to make money in the state, you have to sign a pledge of allegiance that you will never do this. And it's just like, this is outrageous. Um, it's completely outrageous. And I wanted to just talk really quickly more about the hypocrisy surrounding the free speech issue. And especially when it comes to college campuses, which we're told all the time, this is the bastion of free speech. These are beacons of where all conversations should be had. You know, nothing's inhibited. It's it's just all about the power of discussion and the power of arguments and the power of debate. And not only this ridiculous executive order that Trump just passed, but there's also two pieces of legislation, two pieces of legislation passed by right-wing think tanks that literally do the opposite of what we are told by conservatives is happening. So what's really happening is that right-wing think tanks are passing laws forcing state legislatures not only to pass laws restricting free speech about pro-Palestine activism, but to protect right-wing speakers from speaking. Um, For example, the Campus Free Speech Act. There's a Campus Free Speech Act that was passed by the Goldwater Institute, which is funded by ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. This is a really shady, nefarious institution. I guess it's not technically a think tank, but it's like half corporate, half political, like funded by all kinds of crazy shit. Defense contractors, Walmart, like every terrible entity, you name it, and they've like been a part of ALEC. And they've passed the worst laws across the country, the stand your ground laws, the ag gag laws, and now they're passing this Campus Free Speech Act across the country, which Georgia has also passed. Which Georgia has also passed. Wow. And that, that basically is hilarious, says dude. Wow. that right wing speakers need to be protected. Wow. And like no one should have their speech prohibited. Wow. And so Mara, my lawyer, was just like, this is really curious. She's like, not that I want to embolden or strengthen this act at all, because it's super fucked up and it's clearly like designed to protect right-wing beliefs. She's like, but they're literally violating this act. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fascinating. This group that you said helped lobby for this, I wonder who they're funded by. Oh, no, they're funded by like corporations, defense contractors, and like all terrible people. It's really, and you don't know about Alec? Oh my God, they're horrible. They're like the craziest organization that you've never heard of on purpose. That's exactly what happened here. Passing the Campus Free Speech Act, which basically just stifles progressive students' opinions, threatening students who protest with suspension and being expelled from campus. I mean, how insane and Orwellian is this? It's so Orwellian because I'm realizing, even as we've been talking about this, I feel like this is almost by design meant to distract us away from what essentially is the core issue here. Because 
clearly, what is this all really about trying to hide Palestinians? Oh, right. Like, ultimately, all these laws that are trying to stop you from boycotting Israel, you know, practicing boycott, divestment, sanctions against Israel, are, are there because they do not want you to bring any attention to the Palestinian plight. Like, right. that's the core issue. That's what's really going on. And it's so interesting to me that for this whole discussion, it's like we've even, you know, not really brought much attention to that specific issue, even though that's really ultimately what all these laws are designed to do. So maybe you can speak on that and explain why what you're doing with this lawsuit, you know, essentially is to bring more attention to uh, what's going on with the Palestinians, like what's happening to them. And how they deserve their humanity. This is without debate, is that Israel has violated international law. I mean, we document it in our film to an egregious extent. Targeted assassinations of protected categories under the Geneva Conventions, disabled medics, press, children, depriving 2.2 million people of water, um, medical supplies, mobility, all these basic expressions of human rights. Um, in this caged ghetto. Not only that, a brutal military occupation that's been a 50-year policy by the Israeli government in the West Bank, flagrantly violating international law time and time again with expansion of illegal settlements, completely ignoring UN resolutions condemning this, completely ignoring international calls of unity Aside from the U.S. empire, of course, which staunchly boycotts and vetoes every single U.N. resolution that tries to decry Israel's crimes, completely ignoring that, completely ignoring all of the calls around the world from international bodies and activist organizations and Palestinian-led groups saying, please, end this occupation, uh, give us our democratic rights, I mean, this is an apartheid state that's, that's denying 5.5 million Palestinians of democratic rights, of fundamental rights. And as we have been talking about the entirety of this podcast for the last 10 years, Palestinians are the most dehumanized people in the world. They've been conflated with terrorists. They were initially blamed for 9-11. Um, they continue to be scapegoated for everything. That's why I'm so passionate about this issue. I can't think of another peoples who are treated the same way, who are discarded in the same way. And not only that, but my government is sponsoring this. My government is doing this with my tax dollars. If it weren't for the U.S. empire, Israel would not have an apartheid state propped up to the degree that it does. I feel like the political, cultural, economic isolation and pressure mounted from the international community would already have made something give. But the billions of dollars every year that the U.S. provides Israel um, to prop up this criminal state is something that is unconscionable. And I just can't sit back and let it happen. And so I've focused much of my political career to talking about this, to exposing it, especially as a media activist, someone who is an investigative journalist, to dissecting how the media plays such a crucial role in providing cover for the crimes being committed against Palestinians is something that is dear to my heart. So I hope that this lawsuit will shine a light 
This was one of the first bipartisan pieces of legislation during the government shutdown that actually was tried to pass. Um, some sort of uniform BDS, anti-BDS law. God damn. Federally. This is what they're doing. And I think when you look at stuff like the applauding of Juan Waido, this bipartisan standing ovation, all the way to the staunch support of Israel, it all comes down to a bipartisan foreign policy consensus that is toxic and is destructive, and it's going to bring down the empire eventually because people are waking up to this. And when you pull people, not only support for Israel is dropping dramatically with Republicans and Democrats, but with Trump's Middle East peace plan, this so-called deal of the century that cements apartheid and cements the annexation of the West Bank and actually goes as far as vetoing any Palestinian who wants the right to return to their land. Mehdi Hassan, who was on Democracy Now!, talks about this poll that was done. And I think this is really, really important because the entire core of this issue, and this is why this legislation is being passed, is that BDS is anti-Semitic. And that's, the, of course, the political tool to undermine any sort of Palestinian sovereignty, Palestinian rights, and any sort of movement on this issue on a political level in this country, because people are still conditioned and brainwashed with the thought that this is anti-Semitic and somehow threatens Jewish people. When you poll Americans and you explain to them that there is no more two-state solution, that there is no viability for a two-state solution, as it is framed by the establishment— the vast majority of Americans polled say, well, we want a one-state solution, one person, one vote, one state with equal rights for all. It doesn't mean the destruction of Israel. It doesn't mean the expulsion of any Jewish people at all. It just means a democracy, an actual democracy with equal rights. Yeah. And two out of three Americans agree with that. And that's why I'm doing this, because once people understand the issue, there's no going back. You can't unsee once you see, and you can't unknow once you know the truth. And that's what this lawsuit is about. And I want to stand with my Palestinian brothers and sisters, and not only my Palestinian brothers and sisters, but everyone living under the boot of empire, all the oppressed people around the world who are subjugated by laws like these, these draconian policies that kill them, that maim them, that harm them, that deprive them of basic liberties, food, medicine, Everyone has the right to live freely, and I'm going to do everything that I can in my life to help make that happen. Well, did you want to mention anything else about the lawsuit that we didn't talk about? It's quite astounding the level of hypocrisy and the deep-seated Orwellian nature of this lawsuit and how much it reveals uh, the fundamental problems of our entire system at large and our political establishment. And I just hope that people wake up. I hope that people wake up and fight back. You know, you can help get the word out, tell your friends and families and neighbors and local press that this is happening. Find out if there's a law in your state that says the same thing. It's all up to us to challenge these laws statewide. You'd be shocked just on a general level how many major companies, smaller companies, you know, entrepreneurs who have their own businesses try to get people to sign contracts or agree to things that are actually illegal. You know, not just unconstitutional, right. but are even like illegal according to like their, their own like local or state laws, like things like rent increases. You know, a lot of landlords will try to do more rent increases than they're legally allowed to do, you know, just little things like that. So there's probably a lot of instances of this going on, even just on the private level. 
it would be interesting to find out how many like employers are making people sign this anti BDS thing also. You know, that's probably having an effect. But who knows? I'm just speculating, but it's very under the radar. So that's what's so creepy about this. And ultimately, all this is designed to hide what's happening to the Palestinians and the fact that Israel is an apartheid state. That's what we need to remember. But there's a lot of interesting facets to this. And I really, really wish you the best, Abby, with this lawsuit. And I think it's really important. And I'm really glad you've stepped into it and, and you know, are doing this. It's it's a big thing. And um, yeah, I think people should definitely check it out, what's going on, and educate themselves on how many of these anti-free speech laws there are involving Israel. I mean, because that's ultimately what they are. So this is a the right-wing free speech issue is completely fake. This is actually real. Yeah, I just heard from the great march organizer himself, Ahmed Abu Artema. He was very excited about this. My f- friends and colleagues in Gaza who were a part of the film are very excited about this. They're all watching and they're the ones taking the real bullets. And so whatever I can do and whatever we can do collectively to put our bodies on the line and get in the crosshairs of of the power structure here, then we have the duty and obligation to do that. Um, So I encourage everyone to get involved. Get involved, get involved in local Palestine activism and solidarity movements and find out about these laws because this is, as you said, this is the real free speech issue. And it's already happening in a wave across the country, and it could happen at a federal level too. And if Trump wins a second term, God fucking forbid what that means. If any of these right-wingers were actually concerned about free speech, they'd be talking about your case, because it seems like you do have a really strong case. And none of these other right-wing pundits or authors who have you know, tried to speak at campuses have filed any lawsuits that have actually changed anything. Right. They're, it's just all fucking, they're just blowing smoke. They're just, it's just all phony bullshit. You know, they just, all they just want to do is cry about Antifa because Antifa is on video <laughs> doing things that, you know, look really bad, like burning parts of the Berkeley campus down. They just, so it's just like perfect for their little PR campaign and spin. While all the while this is under the radar, this is far more important. If you actually are concerned with free speech, even if you're conservative, you should see that this is what's really going on, and it's being hidden from you. Fox News is not talking about it. Daily Caller is not talking about it. Tucker's not talking about it. Yeah, where's Tucker at? Yeah, dude. Where's mm-hmm. the CNN story about it? If they were, they took the time to send camera crew, or uh, I don't, who did they send? How many people did they send? Yeah, they CNN? didn't actually send a camera crew. They sent two journalists who were transcribing stuff and asking questions, and I didn't see their story. Fascinating. Yeah. So thanks so much for doing this, Evan. Well, thank you for interviewing me about it, and thank you for wanting to do this. I think it's a really important story, and it's just a really important case, and it could really change things, and that's what I'm really hoping for. So thank you, everyone, for the feedback, the love and support. It's been a tremendous outpouring of support for what I did, and I really, really appreciate that, and I and I hope that it just motivates other people to get involved. Um and please donate to Media Roots Radio. We have a Patreon. We have cool sticker packs. You can watch our films if you reach a certain tier of support. So please check that out on patreon.com slash mediarootsradio and check out our recent interview with Yasha Levine and Ryan Wentz, my friend, about pinkwashing when it comes to Israel and how detrimental that has been. You guys are going to absolutely love that interview. Really good. Very long, similar lines to the Yasha Levine interview we just conducted about um, the weaponization of immigration by the U.S. empire. 
Yeah, and also check out my new streaming series, Main Politics. It's, it's very trivial compared to what Abby's working on right now at the moment, but <laughs> if you like uh, retro video games and you like my political point of view, um, you can watch me streaming pretty much every day for about an hour or so where I just answer a lot of people's questions and just give my, my takes on what's going on. And sometimes things get weird and talk about you know conspiracies or you know psychedelics whatever you know it gets kind of like that so check that out and um if you like media roots and you like what you've heard today on this podcast please consider becoming a subscriber of ours on patreon at patreon.com slash media roots radio thanks so much everyone 